all you scoundrels, rogues, reeks, and wasps. Welcome to yet another episode of All Things Georgette, where the good get all things good, and the evil, or even the just plain naughty, get their just desserts. In the novels of Georgette Hare. I am your consummate hostess, Marsha, and as per usual, I am joined by her ladyship and blood relations, Ladies Sandy and Sharon, who are truly sorry for their bad behavior, <laughs> just a little slap on the wrist if I have anything to say about it. Meanwhile, I personally have not a trace of bad blood about me. Lucky me. So today we are discussing the naughty bad and occasional even evil characters in Georgette's world. And like an opera dancer during intermission, who knows where we will stray. So what say you ladies to the bad to the bone characters in Georgette? Well, it does make me think. Um, usually there are quite a few rogues and scoundrels in Georgette, but there's a dividing line. I would say kind of for all but one of them. And that is whether or not they've tipped into viciousness. Uh, somewhat if they've been sort of shoved into roguery by the, the circumstances of their lives. But um, they, they generally are not people who, however dissolute they may be, they don't prey on the innocent that and and they're not consciously cruel um all but the one that sticks in my head who is the duke of avon and who georgette covers in two books her first the black moth and then in these old shades where she redeems him from his life of of dissolution and and debauchery um but he is quite terrible in The Black Moth. And it's he's really the only character that I can think of of hers that she returns to and redeems for no real purpose. Um, there's no life-changing event that changes her view of him. For the most part, the, the other established uh, rogues in her, in her books keep to the, to the other side of the line of viciousness and cruelty and the ones that are vicious and cruel um like for example eustace in uh the reluctant widow who dies early in the book thus making the the heroine the widow but he has basically no redeeming values and he is a vicious and terrible person um and uh as is a more common sort of a of a character, the um, Stacy Calverley, that's his name, uh, who is a fortune hunter and a rogue and a spendthrift and selfish and heedless, who has 
uh, put his sights onto the young, wealthy niece of our heroine in that book. A gazette um, fortune hunter. Yes, and he's he's attempting to um, charm her into marriage, which she, being young and innocent, is falling into. But meanwhile, in his at his own estate that he's inherited, he has let the uh, roofs fall in upon the people who work there, and he has utterly abandoned everything and has spent lavishly on his mistresses and his gambling and, and himself. And he is a debauched rogue who gets his, however funny, comeuppance. Um, Eustace doesn't, there, nothing funny happens to him. He just is dead. Um, but those are unusual people in Georgette. Um, usually, even the rogues have a good side and are redeemable. Maybe, maybe Sandy, like your favorite butler, yeah. Liversedge, who is a wonderful, wonderful rogue. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I sort of, she, she kind of does with her, her villains a lot like um, Dickens does with her villains. I mean, they're pretty... For the most part, they're, they're pretty interesting, interesting villains, and and you kind of um, can't help but admire them in some way. Um, and I, I, I think of um, a similar character to the one that you were first talking about, Shannon, the Duke of Evan, is another one in the Convenient Marriage, where um, I think his name is Lethbridge, and he is um, he's he's trying to get back at our hero through our young um, innocent damsel. Um, and or, or naive damsel, um, and uh, and he, you know, he very satisfyingly his with a big sword fight and gets run through and not not killed, but he's he's going to take a take a little while on the continent to recover, um, and uh, you know, and then of course we have we have um, we have some lady villains too, like I think of the 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 mother of of. Of Dolph, the um, the intellectually challenged in in Cotillion, uh, who oh, is yeah. uh, uses her grip over him and his intellectual disability to um, to just ride him mercilessly, and um, and he gets he gets saved not only by our plucky heroine but by by a nice um, uh, uh, a nice gal from the wrong side of the tracks and uh, which is, is wonderful comeuppance to the mother who's, who is not only an impoverished Irish peer, but um, is you know, deathly set on, on having uh, somebody of, of high, uh, high, high social class for her, for her Earl. So. Yes. But she's, she's, She's nasty, and you really want to see her see her get her get her comeuppance. And you you actually don't really see you don't have the satisfaction in that one of actually seeing her comeuppance. You just you just know you know he's getting away from her, and that's your that's your satisfaction. Um. Anyway, I don't know what you think. I was going to say uh, I I love your turn to the female villain. One of my favorites, um, and and you're right, they're often redeemed. But one of my favorites is the the thief turned into um, the tiger that is the the equestrian helper, um, the groom in Friday's Child, and uh, he's a, he's a, such an inveterate rogue. He he can't help himself from stealing, um, lifting the the wallets of all of his gentlemen's 
um, friends. Uh, I, do you, does anyone recall his name? Jim. Uh, his name is, is Jim, Jim. Right. Wait, who is, who is Jim? Thank you. I got a little lost. In, in Friday's. I couldn't hear what you said, Marsh. Sorry. Yeah. In Friday's child, I was just referring to the, the thief who was uh, a tight, who turned into the tiger of, of sharing the Lord. Oh, sharing. Yeah. Yes. Um, he's, right. he's so light fingered. He can steal all through the novel, <laughs> but, um, but the Carrie's bride takes to him right away. They become a firm friend. But he's a great example of a rogue redeemed um, by his positive charming, relationship charming, yes, with yeah. one of his betters. Mm-hmm. A charming rapscallion of, of which I don't think Liver said just is quite in that company because he is more, he's actually uh, attempts to kill um, mm-hmm. someone. So he's a bit more of a serious mm-hmm. rogue. But I wanted to say something about the, the few um, rascally women. Um, and my favorite one is Leaky Peg. Oh, uh, she's so good. Oh, yeah. Leaky Peg in, um, oh, which book is that, Cher? Arabella. Um, Arabella. She's an and she saves Arabella's younger brother, who is right. complete disrepute. And she's, a, she's this horrible... Um, basically sad whore that lives in a horrible neighborhood. And when Arabella goes to rescue her brother, she finds uh, a, a woman feeding her baby bourbon on the front stairs. And, and Leaky Peg is completely disreputable, but she has saved her brother. So yes. she has a great dialogue with Leaky Peg. So mm-hmm. one of my favorites. But one thing I wanted to, to add, which is a little less amusing, is that um, there are a number of very unsympathetic characters, uh, male characters in Georgette, who it is my impression is um, they're gay, they're homosexual. And Georgette has a real homophobia about them. And she usually gives them a list and like mm-hmm. literally limp wrists and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's very nasty. You know, I mean, if you, if you look at the way she portrays these characters and they're usually, you know, um, they're, they're usually quite obsessed with fashion and the feminine things that manly men mm-hmm. should not really be that concerned with. And I'm trying to think of some of their, some of their iterations, but there are. Yeah, because so- I'm not thinking of those. I, I, I mean, she may have yeah. a disdain for the foppish set the you know, the macaronis and the overly dandified. But I guess for some reason, I never translated that into a homophobic thing. She obviously much prefers the Corinthians, the, the guys who go out and, you know, the, the neck or nothings and, and make stupid races on, on public roads and things. I just to return for a minute to the scoundrels there. One of the Georgette has a very atypical book called cousin Kate. And in that book, Kate, again, an innocent, well-meaning person uh, who does not have family is taken in um, by her wealthy and well-born family members and taken off to Staveley, um, the the manor house that they live in, and most particularly it's Lady Staveley. 
and there is a son Torquil and a and the elderly Sir Peter, whom uh, for whom Lady Staveley is a second wife, and um, uh, Kate is effectively isolated there, and it becomes more and more apparent that something very odd is going on. And at the end of the book, there is a a frightening and clashing uh, denouement in which it is revealed that Lady Staveley has been carefully plotting and um, to have Kate marry Torquil, and Torquil is insane. And much like um, Lord Dolphington's mother, uh, Lady Staveley terrifies Torquil by telling him he's going to be locked up forever, and she right. has a a a quote unquote doctor who takes keeps him away from people most of the time, and um, there you do see the comeuppance um, right right there front and center that Lady Staveley, um, and in fact all of them have to endure, and. Uh, uh, she is a truly evil woman, and there isn't a a funny part of her or a redeeming part of her. Yes, she brings Kate into the household, but it's only for one purpose. It's to use Kate and force her to bend to her will. Um, so she is, I think that, that Georgette has a much less uh, sympathetic attitude towards these manipulative women than she does toward the scoundrels. And in fact, you know, there we are. Duke of Avon was a scoundrel and she wrote a whole book to redeem him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no redemption for for Lady Staveley. That's a good point, Sharon. I, I do notice that, that when she, when she really goes for the jugular, it's usually with the female characters. Although I do, I do agree with Marcia. There's the like Lord Drelincourt in The Convenient Marriage, oh, yes. um, the cousin that really wants to get into the line of succession. He's a macaroni. He's a macaroni, a great fop, and and has a lisp and all the rest of it. And, and of course, she never, this is, you know, 1930s, and she's never coming out and actually identifying somebody as homosexual. But there is a little bit of that. Although I will say that there's another, another dandy that she, she does have some quite, quite favorable dandies as well. There's like, there's, I think there's a, a good friend of Charles Rivenhall's in the Grand Sophie that she goes around with on her and helps to plot, helps her plot things. And he's, he's, um, he's a, a confirmed bachelor and he's always um, rag, ragging um, Charles Rivenhall in his clothes because he's a dandy and he's a charming character and we like him very much. And um, so so there are, um, she's not an unrelieved hater of dandies for sure. Right. Um, just to return to one of my favorites, um, there's a clever, a witty play on the the role of the villain in Sylvester or the Wicked Uncle. Ah. Uh. In which uh, Phoebe, the heroine, young, young plucky Phoebe, uh, writes a novel in which she caricatures the man, Sylvester, who is to become her love interest later on. But she caricatures him as this harsh villain in the novel, uh, which has real-world consequences because people figure out who it's about, and or at least that's the fear that people will figure out who it's about. And it, it provides a great plot twist. But um, it's there's a lot 
written in that novel about his eyebrows as being evil eyebrows. (laughs) True. That's true. (laughs) And he inherits his mother's eyebrows and they both have Saturnine eyebrows and somehow that's a very bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like how much the nose figures in the convenient marriage. Yes, and it's always capitalized, the nose. (laughs) That's right. Well, another another villain I know we've touched on before, but is also just like we talked about her her sense that we have from time to time of of being homophobic. We also have a little bit of anti-Semitism, and we have uh, we yes. have Goldhanger in Grand Sophie, who is really a wonderful Dickensian character in a way, right? He's a he's he's a Jewish moneylender, and of course, this was an actual historic. Thing of this, you know, Jews were not allowed to participate in a lot of other things, and so they could be moneylenders, and the upper class made heavy use of them. Now, if you made too much use of a of a, of a reputable moneylender, um, you would be barred, and you wouldn't be able to borrow from them anymore. So you had to borrow from a real scumbag person, and and Goldhanger is of is of the latter. He is. He is not a respectable, he's, and it's, it's defined in the book, he's not a respectable moneylender. He is a down-and-out scoundrel. Um, but she does go into some detail about his Semitic features, and she uses that word. And, um, yes, she does. Yeah. And, and apparently, I, I haven't read one of these, but apparently in some of the editions, um, uh, he's been cut from the story, which is too bad in a way because then you get, it, it's a it's a wonderful plot moment where where she uses she's you know it shows her cluckiness and her ability to use a gun and all the rest of it and 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 rescue uh Hugo the younger brother of our hero and and all of this stuff so I'm not quite sure how they deal with it but it seems like actually it would be pretty simple to just um to just change his name not the references to the way he looks or that he's Jewish or whatever and just make him a scoundrel moneylender and you can leave it at that um, so maybe that's what they do I don't know I haven't read one of those so I would be interested because um, I think it would be an improvement in, in my view well often one of her plot devices rests on this very transition from an impression of someone being if not now, now villain, then riddled with faults and snob- snobbism and, and charting their, usually a, a man, and charting yes. their transformation into um, it, being not tricked, but, but being led by circumstances in the novel to reveal parts of themselves um, that are vulnerable or witty or warm or compassionate, um, or indeed to learn parts, uh, to learn to be loving. And, yes. and the female heroine in the, in the wings is watching this and those transformations hinge, uh, her, her love hinges on his ability to do this. And it, it uh, I just finished um, for the second time. Oh, what's the one where the boy gets, goes up in the balloon at the end? Frederica. Frederica, I, ha- I don't know how many times I've read that, but I just love it. So I just finished it again. And the, the uh, oh, who, what's the name of the fellow in Frederica, the man? Alverstoke? Alverstoke. Alverstoke is quite uh, snobby. He's mean to his sisters, which um, definitely puts off um, Frederica at well, first. Well, they sort of deserve it. Well, they sort of do. Yeah. 
They but do. Still, I mean, her brothers deserve it too because they get her into so much trouble all the time. But she loves her brothers and is kind to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but it's it's wonderful. The 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 plot of that novel really coheres around his learning to love her little brothers, for example. And there's actually unusual for Georgette. There's a great deal of introspection in his voice that goes on during that um, novel, where he says, "Would he? You know, he's never." Uh, been kind in his life to somebody who didn't think he would get something out of in return. Uh, and would he, if not for his love for Frederica, would he actually turn out her younger brothers and and not lift a finger to help them in their scrape that they keep getting into? And he realizes that he would not, that he's fond of them on their own terms and for their, because they're charming boys. And it's, it's such a revelation to him that he could care yeah. about people like that. And it's, it's such That's a true. transformation. It's like a chrysalis, you know, the, the worm to the butterfly. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting book because it is, honestly, it's it's a romance told primarily, I think, from the point of view of the man. And it's really about his transformation. She, she doesn't transform a lot except for she finally falls in love with him. But but honestly, he's the one that is that is the focus of the book. And and I've noticed that on on Audible, for example, they have a man who um, narrates it, and that's for good reason because really he's the center of the novel. Mm-hmm. I think that compares in an interesting way to Venetia, where the love interest in Venetia is a is absolutely a rogue and a rake and a and a scoundrel, Lord Damerel, who. Um, the book opens and the bucolic countryside is agog because the evil Lord Damerel is expected back at his ramshackle country house that he only comes to visit when he's got, you know, light skirts and, and orgies and such like um, in tow. And, and, and he's badly dipped. Yes. And over the, over the course of the book, the, the, um, beautiful but very, very grounded Venetia becomes great friends with Lord Damerel, which which Frederica also becomes friends first with Lord mm-hmm. Alverstoke. Um, and they they're doing things together as friends. They're not within the context of balls and courting and, and the marriage mart. And um in Fred in Venetia, um, she gets ultimately she has to go to London, where she never has wanted to go, um, and because her her brother Conway has come back from the wars with another unregenerately awful, manipulative, mean um, woman who is the mother-in-law of Conway's new bride, who is, she's clearly entrapped Conway into marrying this daughter who's a die-away, eager-to-please, uninteresting person who's completely ruled by her mother. And uh, Venetia, and Conway sent them to to take over the household and he doesn't want to go and have anything to do with this woman, so he foists them onto Venetia and her younger brother and both of whom are driven out of the house by this woman. And Venetia goes to London and she gets a lot of acclaim because she is very beautiful. She's very frank mannered. Um, And she meets, um, 
she finds out that her mother that she's always thought was dead isn't and she meets her and the mother is extremely self-absorbed and obnoxious but the stepfather who would be her stepfather I suppose is also a former rogue who is run to fat and is very charming to her and very giving and very kind and uh, in a way that that won't upset the mother who might think he's dividing his attention and i think that venetia figures out that she would much rather be at home in yorkshire with damerel and who is a good person despite the overlay of roguishness, which he was forced into really by the circumstances of the life, then take up one of the very flattering uh, offers of marriage that she's being given by by more upstanding people. So she just gets on a stagecoach and goes home. And, you know, uh, I, I think we see that same relationship between Venetia's mother, who's, um, who's sort of a, um, a, a very beautiful flitwit, um, and and this, this with this sort of paternal, ridiculously wealthy um, ne'er do well that charm utterly charming, and we see that relationship again in False Colors with Sir Bonamy yep. Ripple. And yes, yes, Sir Bonamy Ripple. Mm-hmm. Not a self-absorbed mother, but very, but an equally sort of um, non-functional in some ways. Right. And, you know, that reminds me, um, I love that one, False Colors, and the mother figure, she adores her sons, Evelyn and Kit, uh, and she's a good mother, and they adore her, but she has ruined them. I mean, they, her her extravagance and her inability to economize um, is just eating up any any of their their inheritance and i'm wondering what we do with the many men in these books who do the same uh i'm thinking of um pelham in uh in the convenient marriage convenient marriage who he just blithely gambles away his his family's fortune and he has all these dependent children who are i can't remember four or five younger siblings they don't have parents and who are relying on him and he has absolutely no sense of responsibility and they keep forgiving him for it um another example is in um the grand sophie when the the patriarch of that family charles's father has widely gambled away uh the family fortunes to the extent that uh charles when he inherits uh a vast sum from an uncle, I believe he is, he has to spend all of it basically to get his family out of debt and his father yet sits at the dinner table and is, you know, rather charming and witty and there's no question censoring his behavior whatsoever. So is that roguish behavior? Like, I wonder how she, uh, I mean, I wonder why Georgette Hare had such a roster of these kinds of rogues. It reminds me of another rogue. Uh, she, and, and this is, it's, it's not enough to blow through the family fortune to make you into a rogue. If you're charming, that's fine. You get away with it. If you're not charming, like I'm thinking of uh, the Corinthian, where we have Beverly, the, the um, repulsive oh. mother. And he is, you know, he's the one that steals the mother's necklace to try to sell it. And then he ends up, he ends up murdered. Um, that's totally fine with Georgette because he is not charming. 
I think I think that's the main flaw. If you're not charming, you can you can blow through the family fortune. But if you blow through the family fortune and you're not charming, you're out. Well, I think that's it's also that's a right. reflection <laughs> that 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 one might be a reflection of the times. In that Beverly, uh, as his incredibly charming younger brother Cedric, who <laughs> who comes into the story trying to stop Beverly. Um, Cedric points out that he's been that Beverly has been hanging with low characters. And I think that there is, as there often is in Georgette, a a mention of the desperation of the poor and the criminal. And um, you know, back then if you did something bad, you either got executed or you got sent to Australia um or or impressed onto a ship. And there wasn't a gradation of guilt. And people who were poor literally had nothing to eat. And we're talking about Georgette's people having vast amounts of resources as a as a world. And everybody else, unless you were a merchant, everybody else was desperately poor. So bad things happened when desperate people uh, included you into their schemes and then you you didn't deliver. Um, and I think that, uh, that Beverly fell afoul of that rule as a few others do in Georgette as well. There's yeah, that. We don't get the dark Keynesian version of that. We get, we sort of stay in, in the light with all of these people stay floating around in their, in their class. And, um, I, I, I found a, a quote from a gentleman in Moscow, which I read this summer. Totally enjoyed that book. Um, but I just loved this quote. It says, history has shown charm to be, to be the final ambition of the leisure class. <laughs> and I thought that absolutely sums it up. And that's, to me, that's where, that's where you know that you have a completely a completely um, un, unrevivable villain in Georgette is if they have no charm. That's true. That is true. Oh, yeah. And interestingly, back to the Duke of Avon for a minute, he has no charm at all in the Black Moth. She, he gets older, wiser, and more charming uh, in these old shades and gets redeemed. His son in... Um, uh, Oh, what's the name of that one? The Marquis of Vidal. Devil's, Devil's Cub. Cub is is a rogue who has a but has charm, and he gets uh, the light dawneth for him when his love interest shoots him in the arm, and he, he becomes a different man. And then their daughter Barbara is the um, the love interest for Charles Audley in an infamous army. And she is awful in her own way. She is selfish and ex- flirtatious to go over the line and cruel to some people. And then Waterloo happens and Charles is injured and she she sort of gets her own comeuppance. Her brother is killed and she realizes that being the sort of person she has been is not a good use of her time. Um, so all all the generations of that family are rogues, mm-hmm. and they all get redeemed. And you're right, Sandy. They they all have charm. I I, w- I was thinking of these old shades and one, a rogue uh, in that novel that does not two rogues who never get redeemed. 
One is the cruel and lower class person who entraps um, oh the young woman who's like Leonie. Leonie, when she's pretending to be a boy for all those seven years as a tavern, the tavern owner, he and his wife beat her and treat her horribly, and the Duke of Avon rescues her from them. Um, right. And he's, he's unredeemable. And the other one who's unredeemable is her, the man who turns out to be her actual father, right? Right, um, right. Who richly deserves to be murdered, which he is in the end. And there's that wonderful scene of his exposure uh, when oh, the Duke of Avon narrates the story at this grand gathering of elegant, uh, high class ton. Um, yeah, so that's that's those are two uh, unredeemed rogues. But you're quite right. The Duke of Avon and his son are are ultimately redeemed by their the emergence of their class. Not before they both kill a bunch of people seemingly without <laughs> any kind. Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, Vidal kills a highwayman. At the beginning of the book, he does that. And Avon um, drives Saint-Vier to kill himself, but he doesn't actually pull the trigger. Um, well, so I don't know if you can if you can count that. But um, The son has already killed several people by the time he kills the highwayman at the beginning of the book. And then he goes on to a gaming parlor where he tries to kill, um, well, there's a duel inside the gaming parlor that almost kills uh, the man that he is dueling. So he's a pretty oh, violent right. character. Yeah. A little hot at hand, as yes, they say. Cola. A little bit. Well, this has been a charming conversation, as always, with um, her ladyship, Sandy and Sharon. Thank you, ladies, for um, bending your massive brains to the subject of rogues in Georgette. And uh, we are, alas, at, at the end of our time together. But I want to invite everyone to join us again. Uh, next time on All Things Georgette. But for now, ta-ta. Ta-ta. Au revoir.